Please take your Bibles this morning, this Palm Sunday morning. Kids, you can be dismissed. As kids are being dismissed, if you would take your Bibles and if you would turn to uh, the book of Luke, Luke, and uh, specifically, we're going we're gonna to look at a, a passage, and in that short passage, we're going to look at one verse this morning, though. For you that are normally here, uh, we're going to take a break from our First Corinthians study next week. We will, uh, Ryan will get back into our First Corinthians study in First Corinthians 15, so he's going to skip chapters 12 through 14, and uh, I don't really appreciate that. I wish he would handle the hard stuff. As I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, we're getting into these uh, unique passages and such. Uh, but he's going to skip ahead and go to chapter 15 because we're uh, uh, talking about the resurrection on Easter Sunday next week. So we're taking a break and we're going to look today on this Palm Sunday specifically at this one verse as we prepare our hearts this week, this holy week, this passion week, looking forward to the resurrection of Christ. So this is the 1,989th anniversary, actually, that we're celebrating today of Palm Sunday. 1,989 of these ago was the first Palm Sunday. And you know what Palm Sunday is all about? Do you know why we celebrate Palm Sunday? Well, I want to remind you of that, and, or if you don't know, tell you why we call this Palm Sunday. So I want you to paint a picture, if you would, in your minds along with me. If you would look in your mind's eye and maybe paint a canvas of many years ago, and it was an arid kind of day. It was a warm kind of day in an arid area, and Jesus is with his disciples, and they're traveling as they were all the time by foot. And it was uh, a warm day out, and they were in the city of Jericho. Jericho was just a little northeast, not terribly far from Jerusalem. And Jesus, is he's in Jericho and with his disciples, and as he did, he was teaching and such. And he comes through Jericho, and there was this little man, or we know him as a little man. His name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was up in a tree, and he was trying to get audience. Would Jesus at least see him? Because crowds of people everywhere that Jesus went, most every place that Jesus went, thronged him and just hoarded him. And, and Zacchaeus wanted to have, in a way, a front row seat to be able to see Jesus. And so Jesus is walking, and there's this man up in the tree, and his name is Zacchaeus, and Jesus has a conversation with this sinner named Zacchaeus. After the conversation, Jesus continues on his way from Jericho, and he's making his way towards Jerusalem. And his next stop is going to be, as it's recorded, at the Mount of Olives. So Jesus, after he leaves the city limits of Jericho, steps out on an approximately eight-hour, without interruption, walk from Jericho to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives located right outside the city of Jerusalem with an eyesight. Perhaps it took him longer on this day because people would want to stop and talk to him, or as he would, he would stop and talk to people intentionally. But Jesus, eventually, after this eight, no less than probably eight-hour trip, gets to the Mount of Olives. At some point in this journey, he, after he gets to the Mount of Olives, he tells a couple of his disciples to go into the neighboring town of suburb of Bethpage, which was located right at the base on the, the uh, southeast side of um, the Mount of Olives. And 
Um, he says, go there and get a donkey for me to be able to ride into the city of Jerusalem. And so the two are obedient, and they go, and they find the donkey, and a donkey and a colt, actually, and they, they bring them back, and Jesus gets on the donkey to make his way into Jerusalem. Most likely, he's heading towards, since he's coming from the east, he's heading from east to west, so he's going to go into the east gate, the great east gate, sometimes also called the golden gate. You can see pictures of it today, into the city of Jerusalem. We believe that it was on a Sunday that he did this, Sunday, March the 29th in the year 33. Well, Jesus was making his way on the Sunday, but coming up at the end of that week was the national and annual festival called the Passover. Now, this was a national festival, as I said, and so therefore, Thousands upon thousands of Jews would come from all around the world as they knew it to travel and make their journey, their annual journey to Jerusalem to be able to partake in the Passover celebration. And so the city was filled, some instances they say filled with up to hundreds of thousands of people, multiple, multiple uh, thousands beyond what the normal city held. And so there were these throngs of people that were there because just a few days later, as they started to migrate towards the city, just a few days later, they were going to have the Passover celebration. And so as Jesus is on the back of this donkey riding into the city, thousands probably of people were lined along this road, right towards the eastern gate. Many of these people had heard of Jesus and never had seen him. There was the curious one, the curious uh, Jewish person who wanted to know who this Jesus was and say they were lining the roads. There were many, though, that had heard of him and heard of the miracles that he did, and they wanted to see this man up close and in person. Then, of course, there were the people that were, as one of the eyewitness accounts says, that had just seen him just a few days before raise Lazarus from the dead. And so they wanted to see Jesus again. As, they were on the, his, as he was on his way in and they were lining this road with, uh, these people were lining this road, one eyewitness account tells us this. The two had brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them their cloaks and Jesus sat on the donkey. Then as they made their way in, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. We know from John's account that the branches that they cut down and spread on the road were palm branches. And so these palm branches of Jesus' what's often called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem is why we call this Sunday Palm Sunday. The first one being 1,989 Sundays ago, approximately. And so every year at this time, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, where we celebrate his resurrection, we reflect upon upon Palm Sunday. Now, that story does have some weirdness to it, doesn't it? Because we don't do that. I mean, when you drove in this morning, when you turned into the drive coming up on our property, it wasn't lined with palm branches, was it? Or 
Jim Stuber still wearing his jacket, so obviously he didn't take it off and line the, the drive with it. We just don't do that anymore, so it's kind of weird to us to hear it. Why would they do that? Why put palm branches? Why would they do this? Well, we can relate with this illustration. It's sort of like our red carpet of today. Just like our red carpet, a red carpet welcome for certain people at certain occasions is a special welcome. It's a, a sign of honor, a sign of reverence. And the palm branch during this time in their culture, they didn't have or put down carpet, but they put down palm branches, was symbolic of oftentimes a victory or triumph. Specifically, it was a, a used for great kings as they would warrior types of kings or mighty warriors or generals that would come back in from being out of the city, celebrating their great triumphs from battle. And so as they would come back from the great battles that they would fight, the king would lead in on a great stallion and would have the flag or whatever Oftentimes with palm branches, sometimes palm branches, was, were, uh, we still, archaeological, they have palm branch imprints or symbols on their coinage, which was a sign of victory or triumph. And they would line these roads outside of the, to welcome back the troops and the king and the great generals. And so folks would have palm branches and they would wave them or they would put them on the road out of respect and honor and reverence for the king or the warrior. And so... In this scene, this canvas that you're painting in your mind on this Sunday as Jesus is coming into the city, making his way towards Jerusalem in that east gate, and this road is filled with people, lined with people, with all of these people, this influx, they, you could now see how easy it would have been to line a road with palm branches. But why would they do this? Jesus wasn't coming back from a great battle that he fought. So why do this with Jesus? Well, Matthew was there. Matthew was one of the disciples, and he was there, and he records that some of the people in the crowds that lined the roads yelled out and called him prophet. I wanted to see the prophet. Luke was there, and he records that many people called him teacher. He certainly was a teacher. And many were there and yelled out and called him king. Now, why would they call him king? I mean, he wasn't, again, coming back from a victory. So in this picture of yours, here's Jesus. He's riding on a donkey, and they're yelling at him these names. You're the king. Oh, we want to see king. We want to see the king of David. They called him. They said, Hosanna to the king of the highest. They, they said, Hosanna. They said, here's the great prophet. Here's the great teacher. And Jesus is on the back of this donkey, and he's making his way towards that eastern gate, and he hears all of these wonderful accolades, and he, he hears these great titles. But yet, right in the middle of these great crowds that, that are celebrating him, with all of these wonderful names, the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. You see, the person that they were honoring was to them simply a prophet, one who communicated truth from God. To them, Jesus was a teacher, one who knew well the scriptures and one that perhaps some of them had even heard in the synagogues and were, were amazed at how well he knew the scriptures, even from a young age. And to many and to most, probably, 
They were honoring a king in this sense. He's a king who would lead them from political freedom and from, or, or they would lead, lead them to political freedom and in economic relief from Rome. They were merely honoring a teacher, a, a, a prophet, and a king. One who would help them out in their everyday needs and lives. They wanted economic freedom. They wanted to be able to travel and worship and do whatever they wanted to do. They wanted to be in power. And so when they yelled king, they yelled king because that's what they were hoping for. This is who they saw. And because Jesus knew their hearts and because Jesus knew what this is the only thing that they wanted and what they meant, Jesus wept. Because he knew who he was as a king. And they weren't accepting that. I believe the reason that he wept also is because the vast majority of them, because of the name that the vast majority of them didn't call him. That was the name Savior. Kept calling him king and prophet and teacher, but nobody records them calling him Savior. Nobody is there recorded giving him the praise like John the Baptist did and said, there's the Savior, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, they knew he was a, when they saw a prophet, they knew he communicated truth, but they didn't know he was the truth, or they rejected him. They knew he was a great teacher, but they didn't know that the truth that he taught was about himself, that all of the Old Testament scriptures that they read, that they had at their time, was all about him. And they thought that this king was a king, but they didn't want a king to be submitted to. They wanted a king who would do more tricks. A king who would do more really cool things like raise Lazarus from the dead. And if he can raise Lazarus from the dead, then he can remove Caesar. And he could remove all of these proconsuls. And he could remove all of these people. And then that they could have their freedom. They could be in power again. That's the king that they wanted. And Jesus wept because they didn't see him as Savior. That's Palm Sunday. And so while we often hear of this as a day of triumphal entry, really I submit to you this morning is that really that rea the reality is it was more of a tragic entry than it was a triumphal entry. So on this tragic day as Jesus is coming in, he wept. And perhaps he remembered just about, I believe about a week ago, he remembered an opportunity he had to share that he was the savior of the world with the people like he had done many times. Time and time again, he shared with the people, I am the savior of the world who takes away the sin of the world. And yet they rejected him. And so I want to take you back just a week prior to that in Luke chapter 13. It could have been two weeks, but most likely right around a week prior, perhaps on just a Thursday, the Thursday prior to this Sunday. Jesus is, as he is once again, surrounded by people and He's talking with people, and he's in this crowd, and as he's there in this crowd, of course, the wonderful, his wonderful religious friends called the Pharisees come up to him. And in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 31, we read this. At that very same hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, to Jesus, Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, to them, you go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will finish my course. 
Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Verse 34, and this is going to be our text for today. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Here's the scene. The Pharisees who don't like Jesus and want to kill Jesus go up to him and say, oh, Herod is the one that wants to kill you, and so you need to leave. And Jesus basically says, not today, but in three days, I've got three days more, and then in three days, I'll finish my work that I have come to do, which for us, are we looking back, know that's a clear reference to what's coming up. Three days, he will be victorious. It will be a triumph at that point. And so Jesus once again shares the truth with people of him being the Savior in this verse 34, and he does, through, does so through that, uh, through that illustration. I want to look you to look at that illustration in verse 34 one, one more time. He says, the second half of that verse, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We know from cultural time that when they used the words like this and they repeated it, it was with strength. And essentially what Jesus is doing here is perhaps with tears in his eyes, but nonetheless he laments and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I love you as a mother hen does her chicks. I love you, but you will have none of me. So if you fast forward just a few days on that Palm Sunday, and Jesus is riding in, all of this is built up inside of Jesus, and he weeps. He weeps. It says there in the text, in case you're wondering, it says, nevertheless, I go and a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem, a city that kills the prophets. They simply, if they didn't like the message, they would simply remove the prophet just like they did the prophet Zechariah, who, coincidentally, but not, 550 years earlier was the one that predicted Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so in this illustration is where I want to spend our time together, an illustration of a hen and her chicks. What is meant by that illustration? Why would God, why would Jesus use that, this illustration like you see up on the screen right now? All right, this is going forward. Bryce, just, yep, thanks. This illustration right here, why would Jesus use that illustration of a chicken? And you see the little hens poking their heads out underneath there? It's an illustration we all can relate to, right? Some of you ladies are like, oh. Some of you men are thinking lunch or breakfast. Why would Jesus use this type? And it was a common illustration because it was a farming, agrarian type of society and culture. And so when Jesus used this illustration, it was intentional. Now, those that were listening on this, perhaps on this Thursday, right before back up again, just a few days, three days before on that Thursday before this tragic entry into Jerusalem, Jesus uses this illustration. And as they would hear this illustration, many that were listening, perhaps they would have thought of a, this wonderful picture of a mother protecting her children, something that we all welcome and relish. And this picture also communicates concern. It communicates protection of the little chicks and this sort of thing. It's really a good illustration of that. 
And this, I submit to you, is what most people understood with Jesus' illustration. The illustration to them simply communicated, next slide, that uh, one of nothing more than safety. Now, how do we know that's probably how they took this? How they took that picture was just that Jesus or what would provide them safety. How do we know that? We know that because of Palm Sunday. That would happen in just a few days. We know that because they would call him king. What they meant by king, as I said, was not authority, a king who was the authority over their lives, a king to whom they would give their lives and submit to. They weren't recognizing the creator ruler over all things. They were recognizing a different type of king in their minds. The disciple Matthew says that many were there because they heard or they saw the miracles that Jesus did. And so, honestly, there were some who had truly given their lives along that, that lined that road, along that, uh, that road into uh, the Eastern Gate, people who truly believed, but uh, many of them were there, they're only interested in their freedom that Jesus offered as king because they wanted him to do his tricks and so that they could be free from Roman oppression, as I said. They wanted someone to make their lives more comfortable. They wanted someone to give them the reins to do whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it. They didn't want Uncle Caesar telling them what to do. That's what they saw. That's what they heard with this illustration. Oh, Jesus is this shield. Jesus is this one who can provide for us comfort. Jesus is this one who can give for us these things that we want in our life because those are the things that we're, we're going to find. They thought that's how they would be happy. That's where they would find their most satisfaction in life was in the safety that King Jesus would bring. Now, Jesus is safety. We know that as believers, that's a truth. We know that um, he is our shield, that he is our defender, that Jesus is ever-present in trouble, and in the trouble that we have in life. But that's not what Jesus meant specifically, I believe, in this illustration. It's not all that the illustration communicates. There's a book called King's Crossing, and in that book called King's Crossing, the author of that book shares an illustration, and I want to read that illustration to you this morning. He says here, I read some years ago, this is the author speaking, he says, I read some years ago in a National Geographic that after a forest fire in Yellowstone National Park, some forest rangers began a trek up a mountain to survey the damage. One ranger found a bird of which nothing was left but the carbonized, petrified shell, covered in ashes, huddled at the base of a tree. Somewhat sickened by this eerie sight, the ranger knocked the bird over with a stick. And three tiny chicks scurried out from under their dead mother's wings. When the blaze had arrived, the mother had remained steadfast instead of running away. Because she had been willing to die, those under the cover of her wings lived. And Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone those that are sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her ch chicks under her wings. He did indeed gather Jerusalem's children under her, his wings, 
and he was consumed. All real, life-changing love is costly. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. See, all they saw was a way for them to get what they wanted. They saw safety from Roman oppression. But what I believe Jesus was communicating as is the author brings out in that illustration is the second thing you see, and that Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our substitute. You know, friends, he takes the wrath of God for you. He bears the great and the horrible consequences of your sin and takes the wrath of God so that way, as he gets knocked over, you can run away and live. You need to realize that because of your sin, you deserve the wrath of God. And that only makes sense. If you, as a created being, if you disobey God's law, there has to be consequences. I mean, if you're alive in this room or online, you're the child of somebody, or maybe you have children. And it makes sense as a, as a parent who disciplines, a loving parent who disciplines their children because they do what's wrong or because they've done, they've done something uh, evil or they've crossed the line or whatever. There's discipline. We understand that. If we, as God's children, disobey him, it makes sense there would be consequences. And the consequences for that are cosmic. When we turn our backs on God, when we say no to God, we become spiritual lawbreakers. And the penalty for that is spiritual death. A death that we all must and should pay because we've turned our back on God. But Jesus is like that mother hen that he not only shields us, he takes it. He bears it. And he was killed for it. Why? So that way we may go free. That way we may have life. You cannot get life on your own because you can't take God's wrath on your own. You can't bear under that wrath without it killing you. Matter of fact, it should cost you your life. But because of Jesus and his substitution in our place, because of Jesus as the better mother hen, we can live. That's what Jesus was trying to tell Jerusalem. That's why Jesus was weeping. Because they would have none of who he was. All they wanted somebody was to give them more comforts in life. And my friend, there are people that are dying and going to hell today, just like they did back then, that they wanted that king, but they didn't want the king. Jesus brings a better freedom. A freedom from the power and the penalty of sin. A freedom to life. And my friend, I hope that you have this life. Because if you don't have this life, then Jesus is weeping for you. Because you don't understand. He's the savior of the world. And he asks you today to turn to him. To give your life to him. If you've never done this. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you believe you can righteous yourself, if you believe that you can make your way to God on your own, you can't. It's only through faith in Christ. Christ is the only way. Jesus is the better substitute.
You know, he gave his life for us, all of us. And as you walked in this morning and you grabbed one of these cups in the back there, if you don't have one, you're welcome to walk back and get that because I'd like everybody to take theirs right now and, and look at this. And as you open this this morning, and I'd like for you to go ahead and do that. Just You'll see you take off the top piece. It's clear cellophane wrapped through. And when you open the top, it takes the wafer out. And then gently open the bottom part as well. The bottom is where the tab has been over that juice. And as you open these, and be careful, some of them open hard, but I want you to take both of these in your hands here just for a moment. And as we like to do here, we like to take both of these at the same time and we look at these. And I want to thank the Lord as believers. If you're here and you're a believer, we look at these and Jesus graciously gave us a way to remember, to remember this great picture.